This morning we're going to take a look at, we're going to continue through Matthew. And I was tempted, really briefly, to spend a little more time on Sabbath questions from last week. That's Sabbath questions. And to explore that a little more deeply. If I do that every single time I come across something interesting in Mark, we're never going to get through this book. At this present pace, it's going to take us two to three years. So, we need to keep moving. And uh, that was one reason. Another reason is I am fascinated by this next question. And honestly, I don't think I've ever heard a sermon on it. And I don't know if you've ever heard any teaching on it before. If while I'm talking or speaking, you have a, you have a question, will you raise your hand? And let's make this interactive uh, as, as it feels appropriate. Just what's hungry in us. If there's something you're hungry to know or understand about this text, it's fairly simple. We're going to come across something called the Messianic Secret. The Messianic Secret. Now, I, am, I was a lit major. So you'll notice I constantly want to, I want to explicate. I want to take the literature apart of the text. I constantly want to do this. Now, one of the exciting things that's been happening so far in Mark has been Christ, uh, Jesus, Christ sits here at the center of, of all these kind of forces around him. One of them are the religious, the religious Jews, the Pharisees, the religious Jews of this day, and the, the professional religious, and they see him as a threat. Now, on the other side, there's another group, and those are the crowd. And you say the crowd might be like, it's the multitude. And, and in this text, you'll see the crowd is, they're pressing in, crowd, they, they are pressing in on him. And it's the multitude, and the crowd is entertained. They are entertained by him. They see, keep saying over and over again, in fact, these words, they were amazed. They, they love him. They, he's, there's something about his teaching or his style that provoked a kind of a wonder and amazement. So the crowd is entertained, and we'll see that they, in this text, they are opportunists. Uh, how do I spell opportunists? Anyway, opportunists, opportunists in the sense. So you have the threat, and now I, I want to ask something. We might, I want to ask something, we might be able to identify, think about this, these same groups in our, in our, in our generation, in, in America today. We could identify them as existing even now, and, uh, and perhaps... Uh, We'll, we'll pick on it. Who would, be, who would this group be? Who, who would this, how we describe uh, this group right here? Um, the crowd entertained the opportunists who want to get something from God. Anybody? What do you say? The megachurch? Well, it's called the megachurch. The megachurch, and it might be what? The televangelists? The tele, how do you spell that? Good grief. Televangelists. Other day, and so this is this is a this is a deep, uh, a very deep human experience. But of course, we know these people out here too, right? And who we call them? They're the right wingers, the right wing people, the moral majority. And we, what, what's the favorite word for people like this? Is the nef, huh? The fundies, the fundamentalists. The fundamental, uh, forget it. There's no, there's no, I'm not going to. The fundamentalists. All right. 
Tom again? No one can read your handwriting. Nobody can read my handwriting anyway. There, there you go. Then why do I draw? Why do I put anything up here? All right, okay, all right, all right. So there's a third group too, the demonic here. And right here in the center, in the center is Christ in his ministry. I wish I had gone a verse longer than this text. We're going to read it now. Because in the next verse comes the appointing of the 12 disciples. Christ and his 12. I don't know where you are in this group. I don't know where you are on this diagram. Mark is interested in his narrative of drawing us out of these counterfeit versions of the kingdom into an encounter with Jesus Christ and his secret, mysterious gospel. And so my goal today will be the same thing. It'll be the same thing when we read this text. His, by, by, by his grace that there will be a movement. If you're in the crowd, if maybe you're a spectator, or maybe you're extremely religious in your observance, or maybe you're experiencing a tremendous uh, uh, power of darkness in your life, that we will move, and we'll see San Francisco move, to a knowledge of the secret mystery of the Son of God. The secret mystery of his love. And that's what I'm hoping we'll do today. Let's just read it and see what we get from it. And, uh, and then we'll kind of dive in. Mark chapter 3, verses 7 through 12. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea. And a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Edomea and from beyond the Jordan and from Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all he was doing, they, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. Let's pray. Father, we ask for the word of God to have power. Uh, not, it has power. Give us power to, to receive it, understand it, to, to, to take it into our hearts and our souls and our lives and our thinking. Uh, open us up to its life. Let your spirit uh, begin moving, even right now, in me and in each one of us, moving. Forgive the sins of the one who speaks, for there are so many. And, uh, and overlook all that, and overlook our, our, our stubborn disobedience to your word, and draw us into union with you, knowledge of you and your mysteries. And I pray this in Christ. Amen. So uh, there's an interesting phenomenon that happens, and you might, I, you might never come across it, and you might come across it, uh, if, if, but you'll come across it if you have any academic experience at all, and you'll co definitely come across it if you read any commentaries uh, about the New Testament. And one of them is an, an effort to um, identify why, this, why is Christ keeping secrets? 
Why? Why is Christ keeping secrets? Why? The secret is twofold, too, because he also, he has not told anybody who he is. He doesn't, he doesn't tell anybody for the first couple of years of his ministry. He, he, he intentionally has a veil over a disclosure of his identity. Why? Not only does he not, not only is he not forthcoming, when the demonic, when the demonic agencies identify him, what does he do? Shut up. Shut up. Why? There's a common, uh, there's a common kind of expression that like, no, no, uh, there is no such thing as bad press. Even bad press is good, right? You heard that? In other words, if you can get the news out, it doesn't matter how it happens, you, you should get the news out. And we should be able, you should, you should want, and you should seek, and you should desire more clarity, more knowledge, more, so, more of something. And Christ, this is such a, this is an odd move. And let me tell you, it's so odd, it's so odd that um, uh, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a crew of, um, let's talk about secrets now. There's a, there's a crew of New Testament, New Testament scholars, um, I can't remember who, who began this, who was popularized by a guy named Bultmann, who are not Christians. They don't believe any of this stuff. They think this stuff's a, a joke. Not a joke. Maybe it's got some good moral teaching, but they said, aha, aha, you know why this is a secret? It's because Jesus never said it. This was created by the first century church, and they inserted it in Mark in other places in order to explain why Jesus never said he was the son of God. Good because the idea being in their unbelief and the idea being in their, in their commitment to, uh, uh, to not believing Christ is truly the son of God, in that commitment they come up with this idea. Aha! Jesus being the son of God is a creation of the first century church. Has anybody heard anything like this on the Discovery Channel before? I mean, this is very, very popular nowadays to say that who Jesus is is a creation of the church. And who he is, and, and, who, and who we say him to be, say, say, say him to be, and who we think him to be, and who we imagine to be, as the secrets of the Son of God, are nothing but a creation of the church. And the church wanted him to be a divine. They met back and they edited these passages. It is it is garbage of an idea. Now, when I say it's garbage of an idea, what I mean is it requires chopping these texts up in ways that is completely that are completely unnatural. Why do I why I said it so clearly? There's no copy of Mark where this is not a part of the story. That's a problem, right? Because how do these how do these texts come about? How do, where do they come from? Let me push this even further. Uh, does anybody remember how Mark begins? This is the second time the Son of God name comes up in Mark. This is the second time Mark begins. And every copy of Mark begins with, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So they claim that this secret is some sort of Dan Brown. We'll put Dan Brown up here. Some sort of Dan Brown mystery, right? Uh, and, and it's a big cover-up for something Christ didn't say. Secrets. Now, uh, yes, yes, Amy. Uh, so part of the reason why 
And that's it. Now, 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 Amy, now you, what you're doing is you're getting ahead of me, but that's fine. <laughs> and, and no, I want, I want you to get ahead of me. No, I want you to, because Amy's already asking the vital question. Then there has to be a legitimate reason, right? What is the reason? And what, what Amy is, is, is proposing is the experience, the experience of, of God that is that Jesus Christ, or the experience of Christ, and experience, and I think that's exactly where we're going to wind up heading. We're going to head there in a little bit. And it's, it's interesting, I think that just begins to, to open up the, the kernel of this. There's something very, very beautiful inside this. This is actually a treasure box, guys. And this is why I'm so eager to talk about it, because I think it's missed by scholarship and by preachers, and it's missed by many of us, because we don't get the secrets. There's a secret in the gospel, and we're so used to it, we don't see it for what it is as Christians. I think it's very good. And so, as, and as we get there, as we begin to unpack the secrets, I was thinking of another secret. So you have these, these Dan Brown kind of secrets. Has anybody heard of something called the secret? Anybody? And it's popular in sales, especially in sales, isn't it? In sales, uh, and sales, and the sales training that Madeline gets, or anybody gets, the idea is you are, you, Rich, are a quantum mechanics magnet. And whatever, yeah, thank you. Thumbs up, he believes it, he's there, he's with us. And you're going to attract the things that you focus on. And if we could possibly, the secret is, if you could tune the wavelength to good things, good things will come to you, Brittany. And that's where Timothy comes from. You've attuned the wavelengths. And, and there's, there's some sort of, and, we, and you, as a matter of fact, one of the Twitter, one of the Twitter feeds... Uh, that, that uh, on the secret this week, uh, uh, this is very Oprah Winfrey uh, inspired, uh, and that is, is that you, you, Deepak, are the most powerful magnet in the world, and you just need to attract better things. What's the matter with you? Uh, in fact, uh, you're not attract. You're not. You're not. In fact, uh, in in her in her book, Rhonda Byrne, I think is her name. Um, she actually says, you know, you shouldn't look at fat people. Because if you look at fat people, you focus on, well, you know what's going to happen? You're going to attract fatness to yourself. (sighs) Holy cow. It winds up being, so the secret becomes this Gnostic heresy. A Gnostic being that there is some hidden knowledge, hidden knowledge and law in the universe and that if you, can, if you can access the laws of attraction, you will, by, as you investigate the secret, you will become somebody who draws good things to yourself, who draws good energies and good energies. And as a salesman, if you draw good energies with your drug, you know, actually Madeline's a drug dealer. And then as she, as she, as, as she works for the pharma, big pharma, and she, that she's going to draw good energy to herself if she focuses on good. And you still hear this. You hear stuff like this in sales. And I'm going to say a little bit, perhaps a little bit, uh, preemptorily and perhaps a little bit too didactically, this is complete garbage. And has no basic and scientific fact. And in fact, the weird way, uh, in her book especially, she talks about uh, quantum mechanics somehow resonating in your atomic structure or what drew, drew Timothy to you. It's just, it's, wait, what? What? It's right there. There was a cult that was popular when I was in 
college. There was a cult that we went, uh, we went down. There was a cult teacher. Her name was Elizabeth Clare Prophet. It was actually, that was actually her name. And, uh, and, she, uh, and she used to say there was a, there's a quarter-inch flame inside your soul, inside your heart. And scientists just haven't found it yet. It's there. I remember sitting there going, really? And people were like, buying this? Interesting, huh? The crowd's still around, isn't it? <laughs> the crowds. And the religious with their skeptics, their skepticism, they're still around. You remember five times the rabbis, five times the ancient scribes and Pharisees attacked Jesus to try to tear down and tear apart the things he was claiming. The skeptics are still alive today, aren't they? The skeptic community of religious ideas. And what's also still alive? The crowd who wants to get a piece of the action and the mystery of Jesus and maybe get some power, maybe get some influence. And Christ has nothing to do with this. Why, why, why the secret? I think because it's always been the same secret. Um, there, Christ calls somebody Satan in the New Testament. Does anybody remember who Christ actually calls somebody Satan? He never calls any of the people that he casts demons out of Satan. He never calls any, uh, anybody, he just never calls a prostitute Satan. He never calls um, uh, any, anybody, he doesn't even call uh, Judas Iscariot Satan. Who does he call Satan? Nick? Peter. Anybody remember why he calls Peter Satan? Because Peter told him, you don't have to die. What is Jesus' secret? And why does he refuse and reject the testimony of demons? Because it's sabotage of the central gorgeous beauty of the love of God. <laughs> it's sabotage of the love of God that we celebrate at Christmas and the idea and meaning of Christmas. It is sabotage of the God who says, I'm going to get close to Mark, I am going to live like Amy, and I'm going to die like McLaren. I will die like McLaren deserves to die. I am, go I am going to save these people. What is the mystery of the Son of God? What is the mystery, the mystery of the mystery of and the secret of, of, this, of this love? He will die. At the, at the, really, when we're kind of opening up right now, it's like a treasure chest, right? We're opening up a treasure chest because nobody thinks the Son of God's supposed to die. <laughs> That doesn't make any sense, right? Nobody in that crowd and none of those scribes or Pharisees could ever comprehend, even if they believe in that he's the Son of God, that for a moment that would mean he would have to suffer. He'd have to be murdered. He would have to, he would have to be whipped. He would, have to, he would have to die this gruesome, ugly, terrible death. And, that, and Christ knows it. And so he tells the demons what? Shut up. Because you will not take away from me that I must what? I must die. Wow. 
It is unthinkable. If you imagine for a moment, it is unthinkable. It is unimaginable. It is inconceivable that the Son of God comes to die. (laughs) Here we begin to open up the secret. It gets better. Not only will he die, he will die what? He will die as a sinner. He will die as a sinner for, in the place of, sinners. The initial mystery is irrational and inconceivable. Doesn't make sense in any contiguous, hypothetical, or hypostatic, eternal sense that he would die. It makes even less sense then that he will not only die, he will die for and like a sinner. (laughs) He will die like for people under judgment as a man who's being judged. As a man who's receiving the due penalty for crime and for hatred of God and for blasphemy. And he he stands in the place of a man like me for me, dying the death I should die. And that doesn't, now we're, that's, no. And this is why he tells the demons, shut up. For they sabotage the very nature of his love. That's what their goal is. It is to sabotage his love where he dies for people who don't deserve it in love. Not only will he... What yes? What capacity is he a sinner other than to claim that he is God? What actions is he taking? And that's a good question. What we say that is that is what his humanity is. His humanity. And so he is able as the God-man, and this is the son who's the son of God... He is God and man. He is able then to identify with us. And this is where we talk about the mystery of his personhood, the secrets of his personhood. And it's interesting. I think he, he realizes very clearly the, the, the conundrum he's presenting, that he is fully man and fully God, that he's, going, he's a riddle. And, 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 if, and if, if, if anybody claims they understand the riddle too easily, what happens? They miss. It becomes doceticism, which means he just seems to be a man. And so, uh, so when we talk about him dying as a sinner for sinners, it's, it, we're, we're going back to talking about his person as fully God and fully man. We actually use the language of the ancient confessions and the creeds in the, uh, the O Come All You Faithful song. Very God, very God of very God, and very man of very man. That's actually ancient language uh, in the Latin to describe the fullness of him as God and the fullness of him as man. So that's, that's, the, that's, that's the way in which that happens. Now, he doesn't actually sin. Oh, not a signer. Sinner. Uh, he doesn't actually sin, but he comes as one who sins and dies as one who sins. He will die. He will die as a sinner, but he will die, and what will happen? He will die, and Romans 1 tells us this in the very first chapters, very first verses, I'm sorry. He will die, and he will be declared the Son of God by what? By rising from the dead. And that's why he says, shut up to the demons. Because they would sabotage resurrection that Erica needs. Yes, David. Yes, very, very similar. Very similar. Yes. 
Because in one sense, you know, uh, it's interesting. There's an, there's an interesting, in, if you read most commentators who, who treat this passage, they'll say they have a weird interpretation, and it's dead wrong. And I know you're just going to say, did you just, yeah, I did just disagree with all these commentators, and I'll tell you why. Uh, because they talk about the reason that Jesus silences the demons is because the demons, if they say his name, have control over him. That's an ancient view of magic. It's not in the Bible. It's nowhere in the New Testament. It has no track record anywhere in the scriptures at all. And I don't know why the demons would ever think they could control uh, the Son of God to begin with. They know who he is. They know they have no control over him. What they can do is what? Ruin his work. Ruin his ministry. Ruin what he has come to do. Yes, Jordan. Right. Right, or who knows what, what, what happens here. Anything that gets it off track. And I, I wonder, we don't know how much the demonic world knew about his purposes and plans. We really don't know. We know angels are puzzled. Even good angels are puzzled. The scriptures talk about them longing to look into these things. They know he's there, and they know for 30 years, let's picture, maybe you don't even believe my worldview, but just picture this. Just picture this. Let's say he really is the son of God, and demons have been watching him for 30 years. 30 years, and they realize, you know what? He never talks about this. Why doesn't he talk about this? Hey, I, I can imagine this council of hell. You know? <laughs> All right, Satan, why doesn't he talk? I don't know. What do you think, Beelzebub? I don't know. You know what? He wants to hide it. You know what we need to do? We need to expose it. We need to ruin it. There's something going on here. Good questions, man. That's wonderful. So uh, the question, so the, so, so he will die. He will die as a sinner for sinners. He will die and he will rise from the dead and declare himself as the son of God by the spirit of holiness. That's what Paul called, says in Romans 1. What a mystery. What a mystery. You know, I, um, let me put it this way. I was in, I became a Christian when I was eight years old. Eight or nine, around there. And I came forward at an altar call. Um, I want you to move from being religious or being a part of the crowd, right? I want you to move. That's what Mark wants. And I remember this, and it's, I hope this, this encourages you. I was in seminary. Kai just graduated from Westminster, and if Kai, if you tell anybody this, I'll just deny it. Uh, although it's on tape. All right, never mind. All right, so I was in my freshman year at Covenant, and we had to do evangelism explosion. And E was this training ground for how to share your gospel and share it effectively and expediently. And it's actually a very good training. Here's why it's such good training. Here's why it's such good training. I was reading about the substitutionary nature of Christ standing for me as a sinner in EE through the images. And I literally, first year of seminary, and I went, I remember going over going, oh, I get it. But that's how hard it is for this mystery to penetrate our minds. Where we go, aha, I get it. Jesus stands for everything I am and takes everything I am onto himself. He takes it fully. He takes it completely. 
I knew it in my head, but I'm telling you, I was going through the training, and all of a sudden, what happened to head knowledge? It sank deeper into heart knowledge. And I found myself, I was more of a Pharisee, wanting to obey rules, than I was somebody in love with Jesus. And I was in seminary. Because it's a mysterious secret of eternal love made real in space and time in Jesus Christ. And it always is like this. It's always like this. Thoughts, responses? Yes, Luke. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. When he eventually gets there. And I think that's where we're going to get to some of the strategy that happens, because he does not publicly make it known. That's one of the ways that that, that, that group over here that criticizes, uh, uh, he, doesn't, he never publicly says it to anybody but his most private disciples. And even there, it's kind of mysterious. He calls himself the Christ, the Son of the living God. He says it, but then it's, it's still wrapped up in a lot of mysterious kind of understanding. But he doesn't tell anybody else. Don't tell anybody outside the, 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 the disciples. So why is it sabotage? Why is it sabotage? Well, because I think it ultimately betrays... Oh, gosh, this is annoying. Is it ultimately betrays the, uh, the way the gospel always works. And it always works out of weakness and out of death and as a mystery to bring new life to sinners. It's always like this. What I'm going to say here, and this is where... Christ says, and in in, in, this is where it gets puzzling. In, uh, remember the beatitude we read for a confession? What, how did it read? Blessed are what? The poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what does Christ become? Poor in spirit, and what does he get? The whole kingdom. And there's a, there's a wonderful backwards way. Christ has not come to earth to get his glory as the Son of God. He comes to earth to give up his glory as the Son of God to reveal the the eternal love for people like us. That's the mystery that's here. And that's why knowing that Christ is the Son of God or him somehow publicly displaying it easily and clearly for everybody to just see, like just come out and say it the way the demons want to do, sabotages the internal internal, um, ethos of the kingdom, which is blessed are the poor in spirit. It's always, it's always like this. It's always, it's always a veiled knowledge uh, for, for the weakest of the weak to know God. Because that's what Christ himself becomes. And he divests himself. He rejects all the privileges of his glory and its announcement to become just like you and me. And to suffer just like us. That's how deeply he goes to identify with us in our sin. And so that's our, that's our hope and our rescue. That's why, that's why uh, the beauty of Christ's humility invites us into, into all of his divine love and his mystery. Does that make sense? He's living out his humility in his teaching and his, in his actions and his death. And his, uh, the, the, the Westminster Confession is wonderful the way it says it. Wherein consists the humiliation of Christ? The humiliation of Christ, Christ consists in his being born. <laughs> humiliating enough for God. <laughs> And that in a lowly condition, undergoing all the sufferings and miseries of this life, even death itself upon a cross. So he, uh, he will not take the title. 
lest it sabotage his desire to die and to be humble, like, humble among us. Does that make sense? It's a riddle. Now, I'm, not, I'm saying it's frustrating because it's not what you and I would do. And he's obviously acting like a god. He's healing, right? He's doing god things. Yes. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Well, and I think this is where Amy is, so, is wisely steering us in that we do not nearly need to know. What's the, one, what's the amazing thing? It's, it's not merely head knowledge. This is where we're getting to how we're going to apply this. Head knowledge is not enough. What do you need to be able to do? Well, that's what Amy said. What do you need to be able to do? You need to experience Christ. Um, we all have to be puzzled or amazed that churches in our time, in our generation, here in the city, we ought not to be amazed that churches say he's the son of God, but there's still churches that are demonically, demonically operating. Why? Because apparently you could be a demon and call Christ the son of God. It, there's no, you could be orthodox and be a demon. Demons are orthodox. Do you know that? De- demons are Calvinists. That's what I consider orthodox to be. They believe that they, 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 they know it all to be true. What difference does it make in their behavior? Absolutely nothing. It would be of no help to humankind in his love for him to merely say it, right? It doesn't work. You and I hate God. <laughs> it's a sneak attack. It's a, it's a mysterious sidling up next to Luke in love. And acting like a God the whole time. And then surprising you in standing next to you and with you as a sinner and dying for you. And so you see, the ethos of the kingdom is to take us from head knowledge and itemized knowledge. And one of the reasons this, the, the demons are, and the seeker of the kingdom, we, we, a bunch of things happen here. We ought to no longer be alarmed by the fact that there are churches that are completely off the map when it comes to true teaching of God. Why? Because the d- demons are telling us. Remember, where's, by the way, when Christ first encounters a demon in the New Testament, where is he? He's in the church. Head knowledge. So that's the first thing this kind of tells us. Head knowledge is not enough. We must what? We must experience the presence of Christ. And so that's the second thing. We must, we must experience, experience a relationship, so how we usually put it in, our, in modern evangelical circles, a relationship with Christ, which is the mystery of union. And I mean, this is what is, everything he's going at, everything he's trying to come to, is the idea of the, of the mystery of the, of the divine. The divine penetrates the human, divine to penetrates the human to transform it and to bring it into new life. Wow. And so he's, he doesn't want the demons to sabotage this. It's almost like to say this, it would be great sabotage of Christ's work if everybody thought too much of him as God and not enough of him as the suffering servant who dies for sinners. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful mystery. How does that affect how we do ministry today? 
Like, what, what, what do you think? And this is where we, we, we sit here. Head knowledge is not enough. And we see that we must experience a relationship with Christ. It must be transforming by faith. Is what we're going to act out on the table here. Um, I could think of ways this immediately affects how I think. No branding. I remember one of the first pieces of advice I got as a young pastor, my first church plant was, you need to figure out what your brand is and sell your brand. What's your brand? Our brand's First Presbyterian Church of San Francisco. How sexy is that? What's the problem? What's the problem with this? What's the problem with this? You know, when I, when I hear the, 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 the demons saying, you are the son of God, I'm going to tell you, 90 plus percent of the evangelicals I would know would say, you know, hey, if it says the truth, it's okay. Doesn't matter what it is, right? I can adopt the strategies and models of the world to promote myself into a successful mindset because that's the way, and I would say, I'm not saying the branding itself is wrong. I'm saying hoping in it and trusting in it to bring about the power of God is sin. Sorry. You can't brand Jesus Christ. I don't think you can brand his work. Guys, I, remember what we said last week? What, what happens in the New Testament? What I want for us as a church is I want something that men and women can't create. Because what happens if something happens here that we can't create? What happens? We know it's the power of God. We know it's the power of God. We are witnesses and participants in the power of God. How else does riddle affect us today? How else can you see it affecting us today? I think I can also see it in this. Um, it finally puts to bed the prosperity gospel. You know, it's funny. I see a, I see a real, really close, close pattern here, very close, close symmetry. Um, one of my good friends, when her church um, moved into the whole, you know, mega church, we're going to really, we're really going to become the biggest church in the area. This is in Minneapolis and St. Paul. And uh, her family, they were touring the new, the new, the new, uh, the new sanctuary, which is to seat, seat thousands. And, and somebody said, somebody mentioned to the pastor, well, it's funny, what did we do with the cross that used to be up in the front? And he stopped and he goes, that's a good question. You know, we, we decided that the cross might offend some people, so we took it out of the sanctuary. Are you surprised by that statement? I'm not. What does, what, what does the church say right with Peter to Jesus about our own lives and about our own ministry, about our marriages, about our lives and our church? You don't have to die. You don't have to die. The same sabotage, the same satanic sabotage during Christ's ministry is happening today. You can have Jesus without the cross. 
And you could somehow have a religion that doesn't call you to die. Or you could somehow, it can be okay, it can be good. It can be, you can win and have Jesus. And as I think about this, aren't you glad that God didn't believe in the secret of Rhonda Byrne? Because he would have never, ever looked at you and said, oh, she's like me. <laughs> I, I'm going to, oh wait, she, I'm going to attract to me what is like, no, what does he do? In fact, it's diametrically opposed to every principle that this world understands or believes or invests in for its own success. And that is that Christ loves that which does not love him and is not like him and does not want him and does not seek him. And what does he do? He's not attracted to like, he's attracted to the other those outside, to bring them in. We're going to see that the demonic strategies never change when it comes to the mysteries of the secret of the Son of God who would die for sinners. It never changes. It's always the same. It's always the same. Let's pray.